You're listening to What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. In this week's episode, I have Arvin Amani, whose debut, Down and Across, comes out on February 6th from Viking Books. Now, I got a chance to read an early copy of this book, and it's a great coming-of-age story, and I enjoyed talking to Arvin and really finding out how this book and its story reflects his own life. So listen in. All right, Arvin, what book hooked you? Oh, man, that's a tough one, just because there's so many books that have meant something to me at some point in my life. Um, the obvious answer, I'll give you an obvious answer and a less obvious answer. Um, the obvious answer, of course, is Harry Potter. You know, I think I, I was always a big reader as a kid. Like, I loved chapter books in E.B. White and um, the A to Z mysteries, Andrew Clements. But it was really like the Harry Potter series that, you know, plunged me into reading altogether. I think that's the first time I got lost inside a world and saw reading, not just a way to like escape for a couple of hours or to, you know, meet a couple of characters and then say goodbye to them, but to actually like, it, 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 it proved that reading was about depth to me, you know, depth in terms of exploring values and friendship, depth of, of storyline and, characters and how long it's gone for. I think like that's the big thing that reading books has over TV shows and movies and articles and so many other media that we consume. Um, it's that depth. And I think I didn't realize it as a kid, as a kid, I was just like, this is awesome. Right. Um, but like, this is a series that I stuck with for seven books that I, I used to shape my identity and my values. Um, and I think that's, that's the power of reading and the slightly less obvious answer so that's that's that book that hooked me and then the slightly less obvious answer um i would say uh and more recent is uh the hate you give so i you know i think the hate you give in a lot of ways is the perfect book but it, it really hooked me from the first chapter i remember i read that chapter and i tweeted something about how angie thomas has written the like the perfect first chapter um like it just she sets up the story so well in so many ways in terms of like creating these complex characters in the beginning who feel one way and act another or whose expressions say one thing, but their words say another. Um, and it's not, you know, you know, you know, when you buy into that book, that it's a story about police brutality in America. Um, but that's not what the first chapter is. The first chapter isn't sensationalist or anything. It, it, it really like sets the scene with the characters and community. Um, so I'd say that th those are the two books that have hooked me, you know, way, way back when I was a kid, Harry Potter, and then much more recently, Angie Thomas, The Hate You Give. So let's talk about those uh, for a little bit. Let's start with The Hate You Give since we just mentioned it. You know, I think it's like, what, it's almost probably a year since that book has been out, but it feels like it's been around so much longer. Uh, don't you agree yeah. as far as just the impact that it's had and just the influence that it's had, uh, you know, since totally. it's been released? And it's only going to grow. Yeah, I, I think I think like we're, we're still just in the, the beginning of this book. Especially, yes, with the movie coming out and whatnot. And... Uh, yeah, absolutely. So you then, as kind of this reader, uh, when you were uh, an adolescent or things like that, we'll start with Harry Potter. Was that something, were you of the age where, uh, you know, you were waiting at the bookstores to uh, maybe not dressed up in, in robes or things like that, but were you always uh, ready for that next book to be released to, to continue on oh, with the story? Oh. I, I was ready and I was dressed up. I mean, I think I, think I actually much grew up with Harry. I know that 
J.K. Rowling took a little bit longer with the later books. Um, but I think, what was it? It's, first, book, first book came out in 97 or 98, and so I was a bit younger than him then. But around the middle books, I kind of, I, I my age was Harry's age. Um, and so I, you know, definitely by books three, four, five, I was going to midnight releases, dressing up, rereading the books, you know, um, I think I, I, you know, a lot of my friends and I have talked about how we would reread the early books, like, you know, five, six, eight, ten times. Um, I was obsessed. You know, I didn't go so far. I, it's funny because I didn't even realize at the time that there was a fan fiction community. Um, I think I like existed on different, in different corners of the internet. I was really into like, where's George, which was just like tracking dollar bills, um, <laughs> website and some right. other like weird Wikipedia-esque things. Um, but you know, I'm sure if I'd known about the fan fiction community, I would have been a part of it, but I was the Harry Potter head in a lot of different ways. And so was that unique? You did mention a few other books, but so were you sort of just always sort of a big reader? And so even when it came to Harry Potter, especially, you know, after that first one, when they got, uh, you know, a bit heftier in size, that wasn't a big thing for you to be able to tackle a, a book like that. Cause it was something you were already a, a big reader during that time. Yeah, because you're invested. I mean, that's, I think that's the beauty of series, that you can up a book's length and complexity and themes because the reader is invested at that point. You know, they, they care deeply about the characters. And I think that actually, you mentioned that I said I was always a reader. I wasn't always, always a reader. Um, there was a period in my teenage years, I would say, um, when I was like 16, 17, 18, 19, where I fell out of reading. Um, that's because I, I think I, I'd read a couple of live books that I really liked, but at that point I decided that I wanted to graduate to adult books. I wanted to graduate from literary fiction. Um, and so I picked up a few adult books. I won't name which one, but I, I was underwhelmed. I remember. And I think part of why I was underwhelmed is because, you know, kid lit YA, Harry Potter fantasy, the stakes are so high and there's so much immediate urgency. Um, you don't get that from the get go with a lot of adult books. Um, and I think that turned me off from reading because it was around the same time also that my life got busier with extracurriculars, SATs, AP classes, and like for a solid five or six years, probably from when I was 16 or, you know, 15, 16 to 21 years old, I didn't read much fiction. I didn't really read for pleasure the way I did, you know, from when I was five years old until high school. That was the real, that was the great thing about Harry Potter, that I think I, I became a better reader and that I was, you know, the book's didn't J.K. Rowling didn't like gear away from from hard issues or from length or or really just making her her, her writing up you know a lot more I think complex too um, and darker in some ways by the later books um, but I was just I was in that world you know I was ready for it. So you said you kind of in high school uh, you ended up sort of taking a break or not reading nearly as much. What ended up bringing mm -hmm. you back? I think I filled the gap. I, 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 like, I've always been a reader and writer, but I think in late high school, early college, I filled the gap more with, um, you know, because I wasn't really into adult literary fiction, I filled it with nonfiction books and a lot of, like, news and articles. So I got really, really involved. I was really involved in my high school newspaper and college newspaper. Um, high school is like a, you know, editor, and then college, I was a journalist, blogger, columnist type person. Um and so, and I guess around that same time, I, you know, I was really into politics and things like that. So I think I was just like, really, yeah, it's funny. As a kid, I was a total escapist. Like I wanted to, I didn't want anything to do with the real world. And then in high school and college, I became, you know, this, this 
real world obsessed person. But I think, you know, I've reached a point now where I'm balancing out because I think that's the beauty of, of good contemporary fiction, good fantasy even, I think now when I really think about it, it's that it informs our perspective on the real world. You mentioned that you were uh, always writing at the same time as reading. Uh, you did, you know, you were part of the newspaper and doing things like that. Um, were you also kind of creative writing and was that something you took at all serious in your adolescence? No. Um, I, uh, when I was 10 years old, I tried writing a book um, just because that was, you know, like I said, I was obsessed with reading back then. Um, and I tried writing a book and I wrote about maybe three or four chapters. It was called something like The Adventures of Jack and Skipper, about a boy named Jack and his dog Skipper. Um, and I remember I, I felt so seriously about it that I started querying agents off of my three chapters, um, literary agents. And of At course, 10 years old? Know, I like shot. Yeah, yeah, 10 years <laughs> old using like my parents' net zero account, email account. Um, yeah, and I, I remember, and this is this, this really like speaks down and across because I remember I got like a couple of rejections and you know, I got some rejections immediately and the response I'm sure was something along the lines of like, dude, you're 10, like, what is this? Um, and that, that ended my novel writing career. You know, I was like, okay, well, I've been rejected. I guess this isn't for me. On to the next thing. And from there, on to the next thing, the next thing. Like, I was so, you know, just a little bit of rejection completely shut me down um, at that age. And that, that was honestly, like, when I, when I started writing Down and Across, I really, um, I reflected on that experience as well as an experience when I was 16 and I ran away from home because of some, like, stupid argument. And I, like, came back home after like 12 hours because I didn't have the resources to run away. Um, I thought about those are really the two like growing up experiences that inspired Diamond Across. You know, I quit writing a book. I quit running away, like all these things that I give up on so easily. So I decided to write Diamond Across this book about a boy who gives up easily and runs away for real. So to back up just a little bit uh, before we really kind of dig into Diamond Across, uh, you know, you wrote this book at 10 years old and you, you know, you were serious enough to uh, send it out to agents, which I find amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, so after that failure, uh, were you still writing though? When you get to high school, when you're not reading as much in high school, uh, but you know, you're mm -hmm. doing this newspaper and in the college you're doing uh, the newspaper. Are you still kind of creating your own fiction at that point in time? Not, not fiction, no. And it's interesting to think back to, like, the genesis of my writing, if you could even call it that. Like, elementary school, dabbled in novel writing, failed. Middle school, I was journaling a lot. I saw my journal entries, and I was writing poetry, and I think I submitted them to that poetry round. High school, I took, you know, first semester of high school, I took journalism, and I really fell for journalism, um, the community uh, and just like the variety of writing that I could do there between features and reviews and news pieces. Um, and so that's what I focused on for the next eight years in high school and college. I was pretty much purely a journalistic writer. Um, and it worked out really well for me because there's so many, you know, there's so many sections of the newspaper that I could exercise different writing muscles. Um, and I did, you know, I, I got really into investigative reporting uh, in high school, but at the same time, I, I wrote a lot of op-eds and fun little features um, and little reviews and things like that. And same throughout college. Um, so I think that, you know, 
for those eight years, like, satiated my need to write. I never, I never had to write fiction. I didn't have to write, you know, lofty stories or things like that. I, I just need to, like, you know, get my thoughts down on the page. And so you're kind of staying away from fiction. Then what ends up, is there an event or a book <laughs> or what really yeah. ends up bringing you back? Uh a couple of things. I mean, the first thing is that, and this, you know, this is sort of a precursor to me starting down across that senior year of college. Um, my little sister, she was a teenager, um, still is, but I think at the time she was maybe 15, 14 or 15. And she started giving me YA books. Um, she was just loving what she was reading. And she knew that I was a big reader growing up. And so she gave me Perks of Being a Wallflower. She gave me John Green. She gave me Catcher in the Rye, which if we published today would be YA. Um, and I read all of these books and I loved them. Um, and I just started looking around for more YA. Um, now, at the same time, what inspired God in the Cross is that I watched this TED Talk. You know, I, I, I was on the internet and I stumbled upon this TED Talk by Angela Duckworth, who's a professor at Penn. Um, and she's known for being like the foremost expert on grit, which is the psychology of passion and follow through. And her whole, her whole shtick is that, you know, the number one indicator of success, it's not IQ. It's not where you come from. It's not how rich your parents are. Um, it's how gritty you are. It's your ability to follow through and be persistent and like not give up in the face of failure. So of course, you know, like thinking about all the things that I told you about, like, you know, when I was 10 and 16, like I've given up a lot. I've failed a lot. We all have. And so I think what she was saying kind of inspired me like it was meant to, but mostly terrified me. Um, and it's funny because it, it, it's like, all of that came together. This is right before winter break. And winter break, I decided, like, I'm going to start writing this maybe short story novella type thing um, uh, about a kid who runs away to get gritty. Because um, I thought back to my own runaway, and I thought back to the time I tried writing a book, um, and I decided that I, uh, I, I think I wanted to. I, I was like, maybe I should, maybe I should write about this. So that's that's really where you know all those things came together. That I was reading why at the time I'd seen this TED talk on grit. I was reflecting on all of my past failures and give ups. Um, it kind of created this perfect storm that became Down and Across. All right. So that'll bring us to Down and Across. Uh, comes out on February 6th from Viking Books. We've sort of, we've sort of uh, talked about it, but give me the basic summary of, of what this book's about. Down and Across, it's about a teenage boy, 16-year-old boy named Socket Ferdosi. He goes by Scott. Um, he has strict Iranian parents. He's grown up his whole life in the you know, Philadelphia suburb area. Um, and when his parents take a month-long trip to Iran to care for an ailing grandparent, um, Scott runs away from home. And the reason he runs away is because he's doing an internship that somebody that he hates. And his parents are just, you know, hammering and hammering him about, like, you know, becoming a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. You know, he needs to go down one of these acceptable paths. Um, but he's not sure that that's what he wants. And so he runs away to meet this fictionalized version of Angela Duckworth, the uh, a famous professor for advice about success. Um, along the way on the bus, he ends up meeting this girl, Fiora, who's, you know, she's this really, she has like a, a, a something going on with her family, something going on um, with her past, but she makes she, her life goal is to write crossword puzzles. And she convinces Scott to stick around DC where he ends up having this summer of adventure. And so I got a chance to read this book uh, and, and really enjoyed it. And s and you've already sort of kind of hit on that there's a lot of your own uh, life in this. Uh, and you 
one of the things being obviously that uh, you grew up in the D.C. area, correct? And the book set in D.C. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, yeah. And, and what I really liked about this book, uh, Arvin, is that you know we you think of any person that hasn't uh, been to D.C. or only been to D.C. as a tourist, they would just think about the National Mall. And this was a great book in that it took you uh, that that's a re- you know D.C. is a city. There's life outside, just you know a bunch of monuments. Uh, you're you're around Dupont Circle a lot, uh, so. When you're kind of writing this, and did you really want to try to bring a a clear essence of what life is like in D.C. in the story? Of course. I mean, so I grew up in the D.C. area um, in Fairfax County, and so to me, growing up, D.C. was always the big city. Um, it rep- you know, it represented possibility and action and excitement and all that stuff that you want as a teenager. Um, and so in writing this book, I, I almost set out to write like a love letter to D.C., to my experience in D.C., um, and not just the political side of it, but the restaurants and quirky spots and the parks and, and the zoo and just the places that meant something to me. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 that, was a, that was definitely a goal of mine, that I wanted to portray, portray D.C. as some place that was more than just politics and Capitol Hill and the White House. Yeah, I think you did a great job then. And I would actually, as I was reading, would Google some of the places just to kind of see if, if yeah. they were actually – and they were the real places, so much so that actually yeah. I saw that the one, uh, Thomas Foolery, is no longer is no longer with it's us. Closed. I know, and it's so sad. Um, yeah, Thomas Foolery it, – I, I wrote that scene while in Thomas Foolery um, back when it was still open, so it's a shame they shut down. And so there's a lot of you in this book. There was one part that I knew was real, even though it's a it's that it had to have been a real thing from your life. In beginning of chapter 14, can you explain to the listeners what nuggeting is? <laughs> um, I love that you called this out because this is probably the, my roommate's favorite part of the book. So nuggeting, if you were ever in the second grade in the 90s, um, it, it basically, you took a kid's backpack, you dumped out all the stuff and then you turn it inside out and then you put all the stuff back in and zip the backpack closed. And then when the kid gets back, he sees that he's been nuggeted. His backpack's been nuggeted, basically turned inside out. Um, and yeah, we just, it was like one of those pranks that I, I was going to say one of those pranks that we pulled on each other in the second grade, but I feel like it was pulled on me more than I pulled it <laughs> on other people. So, <laughs> and I then we must not yeah. have done nuggeting in Pennsylvania, but I knew just from reading that that is totally a thing that a bunch of prepubescent boys would be doing to each other. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was definitely a lot of dudes. <laughs> had nothing better to do in the second absolutely. grade. Absolutely. And because there is so much of you in this book, there's so much of of your own life. Was it hard, maybe during editing, maybe revising? that to be objective about true life events that you put into your work, that you wanted to stay true to the event or you had trouble changing that, the details of certain events just because they mirrored your life so much? Uh, yes and no. I mean, because the thing is, like, I, I did try to run away when I was 16, but I, did, like, I didn't succeed, you know. I, it was like a half a day um, attempt. And so this was kind of picking up where I left off. And I, it, it, when I set out to write down in the cross, I was really just writing like fan fiction of what would have happened if I stayed run away. 
And so I think that gave me a good amount of, of leeway in terms of like making up characters and scenarios. Um, and so while I think like Scott's internal struggle, like what he his, his um, his struggle to figure out what he's great about and what his passion is like that definitely comes from me. And I think maybe his, a lot of his backstory comes from me. Um, there is, uh, plenty of room within like those, those four weeks with summer in DC, the adventure, um, to get creative. And as you mentioned, crosswords, uh, play a big part, obviously from the title. What was, mm-hmm. where did you get that idea from? Yeah. So, I mean, I was, you know, I was a senior in college and I started writing this book. Um, and I think when you're a beginner writer, you're really just like getting inspiration from wherever you can. Um, and so I remember it was time, yeah, I'd gotten to the point where I was introducing the character Fiora on the bus and I wanted her to be doing something really interesting. Um, and my roommate at the time wrote crossword puzzles for the New York Times. Um, so I figured why not make Fiora a crossword puzzle writing girl? And, and it's funny because that's really how her character, her character came together from three friends of mine, or really two friends and a stranger. Um, you know, my crossword writing friend Finn, um, from a different friend of mine, uh, Sophia, who I just was studying with a lot that semester. And I remember like, I, I was like writing the description of Fiora at like two in the morning. I just looked up, you know, across the table and like, basically described her the way that Sophia looked. Um, and then uh, a girl that I met on a bus ride, um, I think I was going to Boston for something or another, and she just, she had, she she really represented like Fiora's attitude um, about life and travel. Um, so, yeah. And so uh, Scott, he is uh, Iranian, uh, a Muslim, uh, like yourself. When uh, when it came to that aspects of who Scott is, uh, did you kind of wrestle with how much of a part that was going to play uh, in the plot of the book and in, in the story of the book you know, as far as who Scott is? Yeah, I mean, when I when I first started writing this book, like, I think Scott, Scott wasn't Scott. Um, when I first started writing this book, I, I didn't write him as Iranian or Muslim, I wrote him as white. Um, and part of that was because the book that I had tried writing when I was 10 was about a kid named Jack. So I was like, I'll just make this one about a kid named Jack. That seems like, you know, like it, it just makes sense for a book. And I think that has to do with a lot of the, you know, that has to do with the fact that, you know, we have these preconceived notions about who is allowed and not allowed to be a protagonist in a book or the hero of the story. Um, and then as I got deeper into the story, I changed that. So it didn't take me too long to change that. But when I changed it, I didn't take, I didn't switch him from, you know, he did go from Jack to Scott, um, but Scott was at that time half Indian, half white. I remember because his, his, um, his full name, he still had a, a, a full name, an ethnic full name, it was Sachathon. Um, and then I wrote more and I started passing it around to my friends the first 60, 80, 100 pages. Um, my friends all kind of had the same reaction, which is like, you know, Arvin, this character is half Indian, but he's really you. Like, why don't you just write him as you make him Iranian? I think that these were these were a couple of friends who um, these were these are friends, um, two friends in particular who were like editorial assistants at publishing houses at the time. So I was I was kind of stunned. Like, all right, well, these guys they know the industry. They they you know they are in this world, and so if they're saying that it's okay for this kid to be Iranian, then let's make him Iranian. Um, 
And that was, that was really affirming, I think, where I, Scott really evolved from this, like, white character named Jack to half-Indian Scott that, like, I thought was good enough to represent my experiences to truly authentically me. And so you mentioned that you started this book your senior year of college. What, how long was the journey till it actually, uh, you got it to the point where you were sending it to agents? Um, so this, I mean, this is really the first book I've ever written to completion. And so it took me about a year to write the first draft, but then it took me another year to actually revise it over and over again before it's actually ready to start submitting to agents. Um, kind of like when I was 10 years old, I started querying way too early. Um, I think I had just done one revision when I went out and queried a couple of agents, um, and, you know, didn't hear back anything positive. And that's, that's when I realized, like, I can't make this mistake again. Like I need to really revise this and like polish it up before I, I go out for real. Um, so yeah, the simple answer is one year of drafting, one year of intense revisions. And then I queried and, um, found my agent. And through the writing process, through the revising process, and, and even once you had an agent and things like that, were there books that you were reading at this time that, that were really motivating and really inspirational uh, for you? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say I, I, um, The Fault in Our Stars was one of them, which you wouldn't expect just from, like, the, I guess all of John Green's books. Like, I, I, while I was writing this book, I think I read his entire body of work. Um, and so, you know, if you get John Green vibes from John and across, and like, that's because it's, I was reading a lot of his stuff while I was writing it, um, to the point where I was like studying passages and underlining sentences, um, from his work. Um, and then also the kite runner. I remember I'd never read the kite runner growing up or in high school. Um, but I read it while I was either drafting or revising. I think while I was drafting down and across because that's, I was just so moved by that book and then by Call Saini's story, um, that I decided to like include, you know, my character Scott writes these reports about successful people for the professor. Um, and I decided to make one of those reports about Colin Estane just because I figured if I could see myself in him in some ways, then Scott probably would too. And he ends up putting the blurb on the cover of the book. So how crazy was that for you? I, that, <laughs> when we found out about that, I was on an airplane. I just landed in Berlin and I so wanted to like, get up and jump and scream and shout about it. Um, I didn't just the reality of being like a Muslim person on the plane, but um, no, it was, it was honestly as sweet, if not sweeter than the book deal itself. So this book is all about uh, grit and there's a lot of you in this book. So I'm wondering through this whole process, if the writing of this book and kind of bringing it to the end has in the whole, throughout this whole journey, uh, you feel that you have grown and you have become grittier. That you are hitting the nail on the head. Um, yes. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason that I set out to write this book because I was so confused about my future path. And so the writing of this book was incredibly cathartic for me. It was, it was honestly, you know, I, I, it, it's my form of therapy, basically. Writing has always kind of been my form of therapy, all the way from my middle school journal entries. Um, to now with my novels. Um, I think that's why when I, you know, in terms of like my writing style, I tend to go for like, I tend to veer towards like internal monologue and dialogue versus description and prose. Um, just because it's my way of hammering out my thoughts and insecurities and thinking about the world. 
Um, so yeah, I feel like I, I mean, I think I, one where like, you know, my early twenties is, is like, I would have grown anyway during that period, but this just made it such a richer growth. Um, because I, I, I got to grow with Scott and when he learned about confidence, I learned about confidence. And when he learned about, you know, um, weathering through failure and people telling you you can't do it or literally being beaten down, I learned those same lessons. Um, and I remind myself about that now, you know, this is, we're leading up to my pub day. I'm a debut author, and I think it's it's a it's an up and down sort of thing, right? Putting a book out into the world, and I'm constantly reminding myself about you know what it's got to, what it's got to in this story. That's great, fantastic. Uh, so, a few questions, sort of as we wind down here. Uh, the first question being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I'm going to take a slight, I'll, I'll answer the question. I'm going to take a slightly different approach because I just watched the movie adaptation of one of my favorite books over the weekend. And it was terrible, like absolutely terrible. Um, and it was The Circle. Like I, I have read and reread yes. The Circle and I used to work in tech. And so I think the themes just really resonated with me. But like the movie was so bad. It's, it's so bad. Um, I so you've seen it too. I saw it just probably a month ago and I, I couldn't understand why it was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just cause like it's, and it's, it's too bad because like Dave Eggers has written some fantastic books, but all these movie adaptations, like they haven't been so right. great. Um, no, but that's, yeah. So that's, that was a shame in terms of, so you're saying a, a movie adaptation, uh, a movie that was as good, if not better than the book. Yes. Yes. Ooh. Um, you know, also recently, I would say Call Me By Your Name. Um, I really loved the book. Um, I'd read the book, I think, a year and a half ago. And I thought, I know it's not YA, but I, I just appreciate it from a YA point of view. Because without, it's, it's you know, a first-person narrative from a 17-year-old boy um, and his summer of freedom. You know, his summer of freedom and love and lust. Um, and, like, discovering his sexuality. So it was a great book to begin with. But the movie just, I, I you know, it, it was almost even better that's possible. Um, and I think it's because um, that so much of that book, you, maybe, you know, I think it's when you read the book, you don't get the same sense of the same sense of place, the setting um, and, and the intensity of the lust, the way that you do on the screen. Like that movie just shows that there's such different things you can do on screen with setting and emotion than what you can do with words. That's great. Uh, so next question, is there a book or a series that you're willing to admit that you've never read or weren't able to finish? Oh, tons. Because um, remember, there's there's this gap in my reading, right? So like, I completely missed out on Twilight. Um, I missed out on The Hunger Games, but I went back and read the first book last year and loved it. And I'd like to read the other books. I haven't read the Divergent series. That's embarrassing, but you know, again, that was during my gap. Um, so yeah, pretty much any any major book or series, or most major books or series, published between like 2009 and 2013, um, I have yet to get to. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? All right. Well, my mind immediately went. I may have read really good books since then, but like the first book I thought of, I read I think November, um, Dark Matter. It, it's an adult book. Um, but it's a sci-fi story about like a man who lives a pretty like 
average life as a community college professor. But in college, when he was in school, he like was on this sort of like, you know, prodigious track to maybe one day win Nobel Prize or Field Medal. Um, but then he and his girlfriend got pregnant and they decided to have the kid and that like, you know, puts him on this course to like have a stable living, make a stable living. So that doesn't sound like sci-fi. That sounds like a family story, right? But then what happens is that he gets kidnapped within the first like 20 pages and thrown into this alternate universe by his kidnapper where everyone knows him as like Jason, this like mega prestigious physicist. And he's like, oh my God, what happens? And you learn that he's been thrown into an alternate universe and that I'm not going to spoil it for you. He has to like somehow get back to his universe and just like who his kidnapper is, whether there are other alternate universes. It's like this really, really rich sci-fi world. But at the same time, like, you know, I, when I start talking about this book, I'm talking about the family element, right. I'm like the personal element. And so it's like the, it's, it's this like unreal balance of personal family, like what is success, what is life stakes and then sci-fi world building. Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, yeah. Arvin, thanks so much uh, for taking the time out to talk to me, you know, and congratulations on Down Across. I'm so thankful I got to read it and uh, thankful that others will be able to read it as well. Totally. Thank you, Brock. And that does it for another episode of What Book Cooked You. Be sure to check out Down and Across coming out February 6th from Viking Books. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll check out many of the other conversations I've had with a lot of great authors. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.